Good morning. You all made it here despite the rain. It's good to be with you. Today's reading comes from the book of Zechariah. Have any of you ever heard a sermon from Zechariah? <laughs> yeah, me neither. <coughs> Jeremiah, sure. The Torah, always. Major prophets, yes. Minor prophets, less so. Zechariah, almost never. We rarely find ourselves reading from this tiny prophetic book at the back of the Old Testament, but that does not mean that it does not have much to say. So I'm excited to dive in together. Listen now for the word of the Lord from Zechariah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. The word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts shall be called the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women again shall sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with a staff in their hand because of their great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of girls and boys playing. Thus says the Lord of hosts, even though it seems impossible to the remnant of this people in these days, should it also seem impossible to me, says the Lord? Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will save my people. From the east country and from the west country, I will bring them to live in Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God, in faithfulness and in righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. In today's passage, the prophet Zechariah is sharing a message from God to the Israelite people. As some of you may remember, for generations the Israelites were in exile, which means they were conquered by a bigger, stronger, more aggressive nation. They were taken from their homes and sent to live in enemy territory to wait for the day where they could return to the promised land. Finally, after generations of waiting, the Israelites are allowed to return home. That's the good news. The bad news, however, is that Jerusalem is a mess. Cities left in ruins don't rebuild themselves. So the Israelites return to a broken and destroyed Jerusalem that is nothing like they'd remembered it. The walls were in decay the temple in ruins, the economy non-existent. And to make matters worse, it is likely that only the fit and healthy could have made the journey back to Jerusalem, which meant that families with young children and elderly may have been left behind. So our text today is Zechariah offering a message of hope from God in a time of broken transition. Zechariah tells the Israelites, one day, one day, God will restore Jerusalem to a holy city again, which means the temple will be rebuilt. 
And one day, God says, children will play in the streets because this city will be safe and overflowing with joy. And one day, even the elderly will be with us because all will be united and no one will be left behind. It's beautiful and powerful and hopeful. Zechariah is talking about the sun to a people standing in the dark. They cannot see the promised day, but Zechariah assures them one day, one day it will come. Things will be better. In essence, this is Zechariah's I have a dream speech. Zechariah is saying, friends, this is what the promised day will look like. I have a dream. One day. Now, it's important to acknowledge that Zechariah is not the only prophet with a promised day speech. As a matter of fact, most prophets have some sort of promised day pep talk to share with the Israelites at one point or another. However, there is something unique about Zechariah's speech. In Zechariah's prophecy, he promises that there will be children playing in the streets. Did you catch that? In God's promised day, there will be play. We're used to hearing that justice will roll down like waters or that people will come from east and west. And those are good promises. But the Hebrew word for play is only used a handful of times and almost exclusively in regards to instruments. People playing in their streets, that's new. We're not used to that. It's different. It's a small detail that we could easily ignore, but I do not believe that God is casual with God's dreams for us. So today we're going to talk about the sacred and ordinary thing that is play. Now I'm going to suggest something that's not very Presbyterian of us. We, the frozen chosen, so just bear with me. If you are seated near someone, I want to invite you to turn to that person and tell them the first thing that comes to mind when I say play. And no, this is not a drill. Turn to your neighbor now and tell them what comes to mind when you hear the word play. As I say in the youth house, bring it on back, bring it on back. When I say the word play, I imagine that many of us in this room are transported somewhere back in childhood. Maybe you have memories of the good old days where you were free to run around the neighborhood with whatever neighborhood kids were available, only to return home when the dinner bell rang or it got dark out. I wish we still had those days. Or maybe you are filled with memories of family board games and puzzles, secret handshakes with childhood friends, late night sleepovers or family vacation. Or maybe if you're like me, the word play brings to mind a tree fort in the backyard, forcing your younger sibling to play pretend with you and lots of rounds of hide and go seek. I'm seeing some head nods. So just out of curiosity, 
Raise your hand for me if the first thing you thought of when I said play was something related to childhood. All right, a lot of hands. Now raise your hand if when I said play, you thought of the current day, right now, this season of life. Good, some hands. Play tends to be something we associate with childhood often. We want our kids to play. We know that when kids play, it helps them develop hand-eye coordination. Play reduces stress. Play builds social resilience. Play teaches us to share, negotiate, and resolve conflict. And school children who have access to recess have been found to be significantly less anxious and to have improved academic scores. As a matter of fact, play is so important that it has been recognized by the United Nations High Commission for Human Rights as a right of every child. The benefits of play are immeasurable. I have seen those benefits firsthand. My third year of seminary, I spent the summer working as a hospital chaplain in the pediatric ICU and NICU at Virginia Commonwealth University Hospital. My days were spent rotating through conversations with parents, staff, and children, trying to provide comfort where I could and support when possible. It was a hard job, but it was meaningful work. One of my favorite parts of the job, however, was the play. Hospitals know that kids need to play even when they're sick. So the hallways on a children's unit are designed like forests or underwater adventure centers. There are play rooms on each floor, and they have wagons that are designed to pull both a child and their IV pole. There are therapy dogs and carts of books that could be pushed from room to room. And there were chaplains like myself who played games as a form of care. I spent my days rotating through the clinic playing Uno with kids, offering piggyback rides when possible, and teaching a nine-year-old girl who was there from Guatemala alone how to make origami paper cranes, anything to get past the language barrier. We all know that kids need play. However, play does not only benefit children, it's critical for adults too, and some of you know that. Did you know that research has found play to have the ability to help adults rekindle intimacy in relationships? Adults who play have better cognitive abilities, stronger memories, and are generally happier. Companies that play as a staff generate relationships and a sense of belonging that benefits the company greatly. And companies that create space for employees to play have found that some of their most creative ideas are generated during that time. Take Google Maps, for example. The idea for Google Maps was created on a staff-wide play break. Kids need play, but we adults need it too. But there is, there is something about play that we need in the fiber of our beings. However, we're not always good at it. I think that is because society tends to dismiss play for adults. There is no playroom on the adult floors of the hospital. 
Psychology blog Psych Central says that play for adults is perceived as unproductive, petty, or even a guilty pleasure. The notion is that once we reach adulthood, it's time to get serious. And between personal and professional responsibilities, there's no time to play. You can't play when the house needs to be cleaned, bills need to be paid, dinner needs to be prepared, and your phone is constantly buzzing with email reminders. I know the adults in the room feel that. And as one who works with youth all the time, I can attest that teenagers feel that. By high school, most youth know that play isn't going to get them into college or get them a scholarship. They know that play isn't what makes their parents most proud or what makes them most popular. So play fades away. The only play we as adults tend to accept is competitive play which does not quite offer the same emotional or mental benefits because inherently there is always a loser. So it's complicated, isn't it? Play is clearly good for us, but we don't tend to prioritize it unless you're a child. And yet, and yet, God's promised day includes play. So we have to ask why? If I had to make a theological guess, which is all I can do when the reason is not explicit, my hunch is that Zechariah knew that when we refuse to stop and play, we live and work like our self-worth depends on our ability to be successful, to win, or to accomplish. I'll say that again. When we refuse to make room for play, We live and work like our self-worth depends on our ability to be successful instead of our self-worth being rooted in God. When we play, we allow for something other than being productive to become the priority. When we play, we allow ourselves to just be, to be with one another, to be in nature, to be silly and joyful, and that is holy. Those moments remind us that our worth doesn't depend on our ability to produce. The world goes on if we stop and take an hour to play baseball in the backyard. The world will go on if we stop working and have friends over for dinner. The world will keep moving and God will continue to love us. So why not take an hour to simply be? Now I realize that question is a question of privilege. Not everyone in the world can, a stop, can afford to stop and play. There are parents that work multiple jobs to keep food on the table, and for them, play is not an option. So for those people, the lack of play is not a crisis of self-worth. It's a crisis of chronic poverty in our society. However, for most of us in this room, play is not something we avoid because we cannot afford to stop. For most of us, play ends up being something we drop on our priority list because we believe it doesn't bring us value. So on that note, what I'm trying to say is that I believe we are made by God and that means we're enough. It is easy to forget that in a world that demands bigger and better all the time, but at the end of the day, who we are is not determined by our work alone. Who we are is rooted in the fact that we are created by love, and that's all that matters. 
So I think when Zechariah said the promised day will have children playing in the streets, it was not just a statement in support of Montessori schools or field days. I think Zechariah is making a radical declaration that the kingdom of God will be upon us when we know that our self-worth is rooted in the trust that we were created out of love. The kingdom of God will be upon us when we are confident enough to put down our work and trust that we are enough. For when we believe that, then we live like that. And when adults make space to simply play and be, then our children will feel free to live that way as well. And like Zachariah said, there will be playing in the streets. When my brother was in pre-K, he joined a little league soccer team, like so many kids do. The team name was the Strikers or something vaguely competitive like that. And as the older sister, it was my duty to attend more of those games than I had ever hoped to attend in my life. But Saturday after Saturday, we went to the field, set up our lawn chairs, and tried to make sense of what was happening with the Strikers or whatever their name was. I don't know if you've seen a Little League soccer game before, but oftentimes the thing that most resembles soccer about the game is the fact that the kids are in jerseys. <laughs> Everything else is kind of a free-for-all. You've seen it before when, when they're really young. A soccer game is really just an amoeba of kids. There's no zone defense, no positions, there are no real plays or strategy. There's just a ball and a tiny army of children chasing it around the field. Sometimes when they're that young, they get distracted and they wave to their parents or they just stand there and stare. Sometimes they get tired and they sit down right where they are to their parents and their coaches dismay. But my favorite thing about a preschool soccer game is that often when someone scores a goal, everybody cheers. It's not always clear yet that the goal was for the other team or that you should have been aiming for the other net. They just know that the ball got in the net and that means we jump up and down and celebrate. My brother was on one of those Little League teams and there's a funny story that my family likes to remember about one of those games. My brother was in the car home with his best friend, Ben, and Ben's mom said to them, boys, I just want to say I am so proud of you all. You all have played so hard and have kept such good spirits. You're staying so positive, and I'm just so proud of you for that. The boys were quiet, so she continued on. I'm just so proud of you all because you played so hard. And it was such a close game, you almost had them. I'm really sorry you lost. The minivan was quiet for about 0.2 seconds longer, and then a voice interjected from the back seat, what do you mean we lost? <laughs> the boys had been playing a different game. They had been playing Zachariah's game where the point is to be with your friends and to have fun and to know joy and to be outside. They were four years old and they were simply playing to play. They were not playing to be the best. That was not the concern. They were just playing to be. 
The parents, on the other hand, were playing the world's game, where there are winners and losers and trophies and MVPs, referees and scoreboards, shame and anxiety. The parents were anxious for their kids to succeed because they didn't want their kids to feel like failures. They didn't want their kids to feel worthless. But the kids? For that season, they had it all figured out. It was play, and it was sacred, and it was ordinary. And it was on a soccer field, but it could have been in the street. Friends, I don't think God included play in God's vision for the promised day so that we wouldn't be bored. I think God is intentional with God's dreams for us. And if play is included in God's vision for the world, then I think our souls must need it. Work and to-do lists and SAT scores don't have the last word. So in case someone has not reminded you recently, let me remind you. Your worth is not based on your ability to be successful or productive. It is not based on your reputation of work. And trust me, this is a reminder I need myself. Our worth is not rooted in how many chores we can check off the list and how much we can accomplish in the day and how many people we can talk to or if we are the MVP of our Little League soccer team. Our worth is rooted in the fact that we belong to God. and stop. So one day, I hope we can all believe that, one day I hope that we can find healthier rhythms of work, play, and Sabbath. One day, I hope that kids will look to us adults as the example for when to stop and rest or stop and play. And one day, I believe, like Zechariah, that we will see children playing in the streets because the joy will just be too big to keep inside the walls. And I believe that God delights in that. Let it be so. Pray with me. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.